Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Uh, my name is Mike Lewis. I am joined today with uh, Doug Battle. How are you, Doug? I am well. I am uh, missing sports still, and we've got kind of a uneventful week but i know i know one thing we mentioned this on last week's show you kind of wanted to talk about briefly was uh the potential return to boxing of mike tyson yeah you know it that is a that's an interesting one right because you almost feel like it's uh too much of a sideshow that it, it's not serious enough but you know mike tyson's a boxer and boxing is about spectacle i i didn't see the article but i i understand that there is at least one offer out for a fight for 20 million dollars i don't know i don't even know who it was with it brings to mind something else in this in this uh quarantine sports environment though the this kind of love of almost classic brands at this point so in the absence of real live sports you know and sorry nascar i don't know that that's really filling the void for any but a small segment the headlines have been dominated by, you know, the Michael Jordan documentary. Mm. You know, we're going back to the 80s and the 90s with that one. Um, you know, Mike Tyson a little bit, you know, that, that video went viral for a day of him training. So you're going back to, again, the 80s and the 90s. Uh, maybe the biggest sports story this weekend in terms of the coverage that I saw, at least, was Peyton Manning golfing against... You know, Tom Brady with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Right. Which which just strikes me as if, you know, sports brands and fandom is created based on what happens on the field, that this is a moment where the fans, without any sort of new content being created, it's almost like they've gone back full into nostalgia and that we can sort of, you know, harvest the value of these of these brands, at least for a short time. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to me because most of professional sports in America is the best of the best, um, excluding soccer, mostly. I mean, the NFL is really the only professional football league that, that matters, and NBA's cream of the crop, basketball players worldwide. And we're so used to um, to watching the best players of the best sports, and then now we're watching the best players of one sport 
play a different sport recreationally or we're watching a former best player to sport um, play his old sport as a 53 year old potentially and earn 50 or excuse me 20 million dollars potentially in in a deal and so it's interesting to me that there's that demand there um, because it's obviously not the best product I mean there's probably 200 fighters in the world that that would destroy 53 year old Mike Tyson well, okay, so this is uh, this is like professor time here for a second. Okay, I'll be student. Because okay, because you know, and this this is like one of these moments where, I, you know, you're you're I think a, a classic sports fan, right? You you, yep. you love the game. You grew up playing the games. You, your point about the the highest level of competition is a is a good one, and I think that's been the the sort of the prototypical American view of sports and. Uh, I think you, you're, even your example about soccer is a, is a good one that it's going to be tough for Americans to truly embrace minor league soccer, which is what MLS is. I think it ends up being ranked about 10th in, in the world in terms mm-hmm. of quality of play. Mm-hmm. But on a very fundamental level, sports is more than just, and fandom is more than just what happens on the field. It is what happens in the stands, and it's what happens in the living room, and it's what happens on you know in the office after the weekend, right? I mean, all of these stories that we mentioned in passing, these are conversation starters, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, right. And so everyone knows Tyson. Everyone, I mean, that's the beauty of the Michael Jordan story, right? Everyone knows Jordan. People can sort of talk about those memories. And so it, it comes back to this, these very strong brands that are the focal point for a variety of fan communities. And, and, and it really, now it's going too far, but it, you know, sports also, in addition to the entertainment product and, and being able to watch the, you know, the spectacular competition, it's about communal consumption, both during and and after, and I think that's the moment we're having. I, I could even speculate that, given the nature of this quarantine, those kind of shared stories or shared memories might be might be even more potent. Yeah, absolutely. I think a prime example um, of of a sport that's not the highest level that's still consumed as if it were is college football and even college basketball. Um, but fans talk about and, and follow these uh, many people even more so than professional sports um, yet it's not the highest level and yet as Americans we pride ourselves in always kind of consuming the highest level of everything of, of film and television and and also sports um, and so it is interesting to me that it's that those shared storylines that that really draw the audience and that's what we're seeing with Tyson and, and with this golf tournament this weekend well and, and the college sports example is a good one right because those are those are very well-defined communities, right? You are you are part of the, the bulldog nation, the dog nation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, sometimes it becomes even as a as a professor, it's it's a little unclear. You know, what's um, you know is the sports team kind of the focal point for the? You know, I taught down at the University of Florida for a while. Mm-hmm. It, are the Gators the football team? Are they the foundation for the Gator Nation, or are they just something the Gator Nation? Uh, enjoys collectively so it's the college sports is probably one of the best examples of what we're talking about in terms of this community-based consumption i mean one of the beautiful things about sports and why 
it is something that I tend to focus my academic interests on rather than entertainment properties is this notion of kind of the, the quality or the purity of the product. Yeah. Right. So in the case of sports, you know, you, you make the, the reference that, yeah, there are probably a bunch of fighters that can, as a 53-year-old, 52-year-old man, I want Mike Tyson to be able to go in there with, uh, you know, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder and, and be competitive. But you're, you're probably right that he is not at that highest level anymore. And so that's what I think makes sports unique is you have this combination of the personalities that you know the the fans love Tyson Jordan etc but you've also got that purity of of the game the meritocracy mm-hmm. whereas in frankly all other entertainment categories or anything where fandom is really relevant politics that meritocracy tends to be a little bit a little bit lacking mm-hmm. or or often entirely lacking mm. And so that's one of the, I think, the purity of sports and why it is a kind of a, you know, while people a lot of times will think sports is a frivolous topic, where it is very much a special, special and very important topic in terms of, you know, building culture and community. So, so that's one of the, the beautiful things about uh, sports in terms of sports fandom, right? In addition to having the the love of the brands, let's say the love of the entities like, you know, Peyton Manning and look, I love Peyton Manning, Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, we still have that absolute purity. Mm. So that that absolute purity and that meritocracy. So with that in mind, what what are the leagues saying uh, in terms of when they're going to get back to actually uh playing the games? Yeah. Well, first off, when we talk about meritocracy, I'm I'm kind of biased to the NBA, but I think the best athletes in the world uh, play professional basketball. And the NBA has kind of been the league with the most headlines in this last week. Um, The commissioner is exploring the possibility of the season continuing at Walt Disney World, um, which which has some interesting... right? Yeah, at their well, it's it's their sports complex, uh, Wide World of Sports in Orlando. You know, two hundred plus acres. The proposed plan, I guess, is to continue the season, and they're going to be playing. It's going to be like a high school basketball tournament, from my understanding. There's going to be games going on in the same gym throughout the day um, to to (laughs) speed up the season. It's just crazy to think about, but hey, it's it's the world we're living in. And honestly, I'd pay a lot of money to be there myself, but. yeah, they're, they're talking about doing that and then getting into a playoff format that's more standard seven-game playoff series and, and trying to really finish up the season. Uh, reportedly, the majority of NBA players are in favor of returning to the season. Financially, they're certainly incentivized um, to, to feel that way. And, of course, there's going to be exceptions. And uh, I know there's at least one NBA player who has a prior medical condition that that he's concerned about but as a whole um it's looking like it's moving more and more toward this disney world plan that was presented by bob Iger. yeah you know this is a tough one because there's all this fear and trepidation in terms of you know getting back to a sense of normalcy but whatever league you know takes sort of the bold steps and gets back into it And, and and again you know as I say this, there's always going to be this background fear of what if this blows up again. But there, there's an opportunity here for the the NBA to play in this kind of you know isolated Orlando environment. Um, 
MLB seems like they've floated some ideas, but nothing has really gained traction for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I, I think I think this is a, a great opportunity for the NBA. Um, you know, whoever moves first is going to have to do so with all the all the standard precautions and caveats and the the type of language that you know if there's any you know if there's any outbreaks they things will be shut down fairly quickly but i think you know in terms of running a business and let's just put it in those terms for now in terms of running a business the sports leagues have got to find a way to get back out there mm-hmm. uh i suspect that they're going to find a pretty significant ally in the white house you know donald trump obviously wants to move back to uh some to some real normalcy yeah and while it's tough because the danger of doing this wrong is catastrophic you know i think the i think a lot of the world is saying it is time to try things out again and see what happens and i mean and and this is the problem right any of these statements my statements and you can tell I'm choosing my words carefully, and that's why I'm fumbling over them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Everything sounds too cavalier. But at some point, you know, this lockdown has been going on for eight to ten weeks at this point. Uh, the states are moving towards, you know, continually opening up, opening up more and more. It is time for the culture or the, the businesses that run the culture, that support the, the cultural entities. It's time for them to start putting product back out there. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they can't essentially go away forever. Are we going to cancel, you know, one or two years uh, of sports? You know, that, that doesn't seem reasonable for these for these teams and these leagues to continue to exist. So it's time to come up with some sort of and just as we're doing in education, some sort of hybrid model and, you know, at least put a, a you know, put a foot in the pool, start testing it out and start moving forward. Yeah. And you mentioned the opportunity for the NBA. Um, To me, the most interesting part here is the opportunity for Disney. Talk about having some of the most influential figures in all of sports on your properties constantly and enjoying some of your, uh, your theme parks and things like that in their free time. And just, just the mention of Disney with every single NBA contest um it's got to be a huge opportunity for disney but mike as a as a marketing professor i'm curious what your thoughts are from disney's perspective proposing this plan for the nba and what they might gain from it beyond what originally came to my mind that's interesting when you bring disney into this because you know disney has got to be reeling in terms of the parks the cruise line the resorts the theatrical releases. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're making a very, you're making a, an interesting point that this could be a win-win opportunity for Disney to start creating some contact, some content almost in full partnership with the NBA and to engage in, you know, perhaps a little bit of brand building. In fact, as the parks, let's say, start to reopen. I think Universal has talked about reopening a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as the parks start to reopening at, you know, 25% capacity, that you also have the NBA players. I, I think, yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a tremendous win-win opportunity. I would say, though, there is always the danger, though, of the overdoing it, mm-hmm. right? That this is... 
getting the right balance in terms of the seriousness of sports. I mean, it can always be sort of lighthearted, but the real, you know, you you don't want to move into full on sports entertainment. Let's Mm -hmm. say you want it to still be serious competition that is just happening at the at the Disney properties. Oh yeah, that, that's something that's interesting to me too because we've talked before about when a Star Wars film is coming out and now that they have the partnership with Disney and are part of Disney, um, you see R2-D2 on SportsCenter and things like that and it's like every highlight will just throw in a Star Wars clip or Star Wars music and it it's a little overdone and it feels like they have to be delicate in how they handle the NBA if there is a partnership here um, because it's something that could dilute really either brand um, or both. Well, it's a potential danger, right? Because Disney owns ESPN, which, you know, broadcasts NBA games. And and so these things have always got to feel, these entities have at least got to feel at least a little bit independent to fans it can't feel like it's you know frankly the w and look i love the wwe but it can't feel like this is all about very kind of pre-packaged promotion this has got to feel and it goes back to the earlier point about the difference between sports and entertainment it has got to feel like real honest competition and not sort of a manufactured show yeah absolutely and uh you know, as far as the manufactured nature of the presentation, the most interesting thing to me um, is going to be sound and in commentary and things of that nature. Because when you take away crowd noise, and you know, are we going to be hearing the players trash talking each other? Because that could be really interesting. Um, but it's also something, obviously, where the NBA wants to monitor its image um, and maintain you know its viewership among younger audiences as well but at the same time when you're talking about you know it feeling too packaged i've heard the proposition of using fan noise like fake fan noise in in arenas for for football as well and uh it's it gets where it seems like it could feel really strange and inauthentic a hundred percent true right You, you start doing fan noise in an empty arena um, you know, even with some very creative camera work to hide the to hide the empty stands, or I think it was South Korea baseball took some heat because they put blow up dolls in the stands. Oh, you know, there, there's all sorts of there's going to be a temptation to make the product look like the old school, the traditional product. But I think you know the the key is to work with what you got, sort of you know. Don't swim against the current. Exactly. Fig- figure out what is happening here, um, and you know, develop the you know, package the product, package the sport, package the game in a way that makes sense with the with the the current situation. We talked earlier on. It's like you know, if the games feel more clinical, then you know, have like deeper levels of analysis going mm-hmm. on. Let the coaches who are doing the color commentary spend more time really breaking things down. If there's, um, you know, it, it, look, if you got players that love to trash talk, you, you can almost imagine having some real fun with it. And, you know, the, the NBA after dark where, you know, whichever teams really like to go at each other, you know, you, you put the mics in a position where they can pick up more of that. Yeah. Right? So, so I, I think there's there's opportunities and... It's up to the league to kind of, you know, figure out where those opportunities 
are and I mean and while it's tough to kind of embrace the current situation the current circumstances and come up with a product that fits yeah absolutely I think if they embrace the current situation there's the opportunity to do something new and something that could even move sports forward in the future Um, but at the same time I think if they try to recreate the past in an environment where that's just not possible, it can hurt the perception of the sport and the network and all the rest. And why don't we, why don't we call it there on that yeah. point about em- embracing the current, the current circumstances, uh, with, with a final call out to, uh, to the website, which is www.fanalytics with Mike Lewis. And one of the things that we're eagerly promoting at this point is a podcast version of the course on sports analytics i teach at emory university and all sorts of other great content so until next week thanks